What in the world did Greg Williams do? Sable Radio, two days after the Jets lost to the Raiders in stunning fashion. I know it's the Jets. I know people aren't surprised with anything relating to the Jets, but this defies logic. The Henry Ruggs miracle at MetLife defies logic. And, you know, let's get right into it. 13 seconds left, third and 10, up four. Your defense just made a huge stop. Now, before we go any further, let's make this clear. Greg Williams, if he never coaches another game in the NFL, he just went out his way. He went out on his terms. No, you don't want to go out giving up a inexplicable 46-yard touchdown with five ticks on the clock, but at least he, he went down doing what he does. And for all the folks who think there's some grand conspiracy that Greg Williams was paid off, that he intentionally tanked the Jets, turn the TV off. Turn the TV off immediately. Don't watch Raw or SmackDown anymore. Don't watch these incredible, fantastical shows. Your mind is polluted. This is the NFL Players and coaches do not do that. There's only 16 games in each season, and everyone is precious. These guys are independent contractors. So every game, no matter the record, is crucial. You're playing for your next job. That's the way it works. So there, there is no tanking from that regard. It's just absurd. What's also absurd was the play call. The play call was terrible. We know this. There are ways to blitz against a Hail Mary type situation. This is the ballsiest, riskiest way of any of them. And there are three major sins on the play. First, let's watch it through. Jets four across near the sticks, which clues Carr in that it's going to be a zero blitz look. Sure enough, it is. They bring seven. Carr steps up in the pocket like the Red Sea parting finds rugs in the end zone. Let's watch it from the tight view and see what we see. Three on each side. It's not really an overload situation. It's more of a balanced blitz, which we'll get into in a little bit. Uh, But Hewitt coming down the A-gap. Carr avoids him, steps up, finds rugs. Now, there's a lot to discuss on the play. Number one is David Carr. And the first sin is this. When blitzing against a Hail Mary type situation, the element of surprise is the biggest factor. It's not about the number of players you bring. It's about the element of surprise. You know, you often see, that's why you often see three down defensive linemen and another two or three coming from... uh, wherever they come from. Sometimes it's an overload blitz where you'll want to flush the right-handed quarterback to his left. So he has to throw against the grain. And in that event, you might see a slot corner come along with a linebacker, both off the edge and it moves the pocket to the quarterback's left. But 
the key is the quarterback doesn't know the blitz is coming. You do it in a sort of casual way. What this does is it makes the quarterback think. It makes the quarterback hesitate. It makes him react and understand that I'm not going to have time to get this ball downfield. And that's the purpose of the blitz in this situation. It's not exactly to sack the quarterback. It's to make him throw the ball quicker than he wants to. And they can't get a 50-yard touchdown, 60-yard touchdown, whatever. Here, Greg Williams doesn't care about the element of surprise. His way. He's saying to John Gruden and Derek Carr, hey, this is what I'm going to do. I know I give the middle finger out to a lot of people but at least I do it to their face. And that's what he does here. Hey, we're blitzing. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it, Gruden? Carr? Carr comes to the line. He sees it right here. He sees it, communicates to his tight end, Waller, communicates to the running back, and that makes the play happen. If he doesn't leave Waller in, this play doesn't happen. No shot. Six in to protect a seven Man rush, no chance. Carr doesn't have the time, and this play doesn't happen. He throws it way quicker than he wants to, and it would have even taken a more miraculous play to get it done. So Carr adjusting. Greg Williams not going with any kind of element of surprise with the blitz. And rushing seven, which I forget the stat from ESPN, has never been done or hasn't been done in many, many decades in in similar in a similar situation, it hardly ever happens. Rex Ryan went on a Greenberg show on ESPN, hammering Greg Williams, hammering the Jets, calling him a laughingstock. We'll get into Rex Ryan later. He's got a pipe down. But Greg uh, Derek Carr changes things up. Waller, running back, staying in, makes it happen. Number two, Cardinalson, number two, Lamar Jackson. If you're in a zero coverage, you're the last line of defense. Why are you only seven yards off the ball? And why are you shaded so far inside? You got to be at least 10, 12 yards off. The purpose here, you're the last line. You got to play it as such. So backpedal, bail, whichever you do is fine. Just don't let the receiver close ground on you. There always has to be space between you and the receiver. Always. Don't let him catch you. Ideally, you want to backpedal and not turn until you absolutely have to. But here he bails, which is fine. And you'll see it right here. He turns right away, starts running. And because he has him in man-to-man, if Ruggs makes an in-cut here, he's got to cover him. So not having that free safety... If he runs an in-cut here and Carr hits him, I mean, there's a solid chance he could score or get out of bounds, making it a you know, 30, 25, 20-yard try to the end zone with three, four, five seconds left. So you understand why he goes for the stutter just a, a little bit. But still, say Ruggs cut to the inside. You still don't go, you don't react this way. You don't react this way as a corner in this situation. You react this way if you have over the top help, not in this situation. So Jackson going for the stutter, 
cardinal sin number two. You can't do it. Just keep running. Keep running. If he catches it for 20, 25 yards, be secure with the tackle. Let him catch it. Be secure with the tackle. The game's over. As you can see, the stutter is all rugs needed. And Carr finds him. Miracle at the Meadowlands. Number three, Neville Hewitt. Again, it's a balanced blitz. It's a balanced pressure. And because Greg Williams is sending three on each side, there's nowhere for Carr to go. He can't escape left or right. He can't. So, the only way where only place he could go is forward, stepping up in the pocket. That's Neville Hewitt's job on this play. Neville Hewitt. Well, first cars change into play. Neville Hewitt right down the A gap. Gidry off the edge. Lange off the edge. Jenkins is taking his time trying to beat his man one on one with the swim. Hewitt down the A-gap has to stay in his lane because it's balanced. And listen, these are educated guesses. We don't know how Hewitt was coached. We don't know what Greg Williams uh, told him when they when they ran this play in practice. But common sense leads you to believe, as a defender, if you're bringing a balanced pressure like this, you have to stay in your lane and, and contain the quarterback. Not contain him to not run. He's not going to run. He's not a threat but contain him in terms of breaking the pocket and buying time. That's the key. It's not to sack the quarterback. It's to keep him in the pocket and eliminate his time. Hewitt, just stay in the A-gap. Stay in the A-gap. Stay in the A-gap. He gets tossed to the side. That's the killer. That's the worst part of this play, and that sets everything in motion. Because once that happens, it forms a wall, and allows Carr to part the Red Sea, step up in the pocket, and make the play happen. And that's exactly what he does. And the other thing is Matthias Farley. I didn't count this as one of the one of the uh, would be four sins, but Greg Williams, what is he doing with Matthias Farley? Four across, Matthias Farley walks up. I, who does he have? Is he responsible for the tight end? Is he responsible for the back? It has to be one of these two guys because you're not spying the quarterback here. So he either has the tight end or the back and because they both stay in, Farley's supposed to go in a green situation. But he's really slow. Looks like he has the tight end the way he reacted. He's really slow to rush the passer once Waller stays in a block right there, go, go, go get Carr, go get him. You're, you're the seventh guy, which is critical. You're not helping. You're not floating deep. You got to go. He just, he's lackadaisical. He hesitates. He hesitates, tries to bat it, get a hand on the ball. doesn't work. From an overall standpoint, it, it's a, it's a mind boggling decision by Greg Williams but there's no conspiracy, folks. To think there's a conspiracy would be to think Elvis is still alive. To think there's a conspiracy is to think Tupac is living in Brazil. Or that we didn't land on the moon. It's, it's just not... Well, it is possible. Of course, anything's possible. 
but it's not likely. There's no shot. It was just a terrible call. If you know Greg Williams and what he does, he sends pressure. He sends pressure when it's nut crunching time all the time. And we've seen it. We've seen it with the Jets. Last year against Pittsburgh, he literally did the same thing. It's just ludicrous. But that's what you get in today's media landscape. You, you want the casual fan talking about casual topics because it travels further. I mean, against Pittsburgh last year, literally. May had to make an incredible play in the end zone, turned around with his left arm to knock it away on third down. One-on-one coverage downfield. On fourth down, again. Hodges drops the ball, still gets rid of it. Pool, his man gets a little behind him, but the ball is underthrown, and the Jits escape. There was about 40 or 50 seconds left as opposed to 13. So the time was... The time difference was there. Both teams had no timeouts. So it wasn't a Hail Mary situation for the Steelers, which makes the Raiders a lot worse. But time and again, if you research Greg Williams, he's done this so many times. And purely by knowing that, this play call, there's no conspiracy to it. That's just what he does. In terms of the game itself, you know, Sam Darnold played decently well, uh, threw another pick, threw two touchdowns, ran one in, 14 to 23, 186 yards. He was decent. He was good. But this Raiders defense is terrible. We talked about it last week. This was a tricky matchup for the Jets, and Paul Gunther did not let me down. The Raiders defense did not let me down. They even had Cleland Farrell when everyone thought he was going to miss the game. And the Jets had their worst game out of Mekhi Becton as a pro. He wasn't great at all. He got beat by Farrell. Darnold also lost two fumbles in that second quarter. If that second quarter doesn't happen with Farrell and Crosby, uh, especially Farrell beating Becton and changing the momentum, the Jets probably win this walking away. But the Raiders changed the momentum in the second quarter thanks to the pass rush, which is not has been non-existent all year. They they're second. They were second to last in sacks coming into the game. That may have changed based on this game. I don't know how many sacks they had in total. I think three. But that second quarter was huge. Without it, without Becton, you know, putting up a poor performance, Jets probably win. Darnold probably stays in the groove, stays a bit hot. And Jets defense just does enough. I expected a high-scoring game, even higher than this, to be honest. But it did not disappoint because both defenses are terrible. And the Raiders missed Josh Jacobs, there's no question. They couldn't run the ball that well. See, Gruden's old-school offense, power-rushing scheme is really tailored to Jacobs. So... Most NFL teams don't miss their running back that much. In the Raiders' case, because of the way Gruden coaches and calls plays, they miss their running back. Booker could only manage 50 yards on 16 carries. Uh, Darren Waller really busted out in the second quarter, had Ashton Davis running all over. 200 yards, 13 catches, two touchdowns. Ruggs was kept in check all game until that last play. 
Uh, for the Jets, Crowder, five catches, 47 yards. Mims, two for 40. Berrios, two for 33. Perryman was pretty quiet, one for 22. Ty Johnson goes for 100 yards. This was the first 100-yard rusher since Isaiah Crowell. Crowell. Crowell or Crowell? Isaiah Crowell. Two years ago. Which is purely amazing. But Ty Johnson does pretty much in his first lead role for the Jets because Gore exited on the second play from scrimmage with an injury. He does what Le'Veon Bell couldn't do in two years or a year and a half, which is pretty astonishing. Josh Adams, 74 yards, eight carries. And for the Jets to lose this game, when they rush for 208, 206 yards and 34 carries, 6.1 average is amazing. I mean, Darnold had a good game, but he should have had more than 186 yards with that rushing production. Only 23 attempts. Yeah, they controlled most of the game, which is why his attempts were down. But with that rushing performance, you know, I expected the Jets to put up more points. The Jets offense is way better than the defense right now. And I actually said before the season, I expected the offense to finish with a better DVOA than the defense. I don't know where the two units stand right now. The offense is probably buried still based on the entire season. But right now, as we sit here after week 13, Jets offense is better than Jets defense. And I don't think too many people had that coming in. Uh, Fans love Greg Williams coming in. Uh, Who had on the bingo card that Greg Williams would get fired before Adam Gase too? Amazing. Simply amazing. Defensively, Quinnen Williams continues to be a monster. Uh, Picked up another sack, tackle for loss, hit Carr three times. Neville Hewitt picked up a sack, but he had that critical error on that Hail Mary, zero blitz. Langy was okay, still running all over the field. Bryce Hall had his worst game by far, too. Missing that tackle on Waller in the flat. Uh, It wasn't really the flat. It was more of an out situation. Was awful Marcus May too also missed him I mean you know Darren Waller's not the flash I know he's fast I know he has receiver speed but he's not uh who's that that blue guy that runs at MLB stadiums Mr. Freeze or something freeze he's not that guy he's not that fast and that play was really really rough Ashton Davis he's also injured on Monday's conference call, Gase said that Ashton Davis, Greg Van Roten, and Bennett Jackson may all miss the rest of the year with injury, which means Matthias Farley is going to be playing safety with May, if that's the case. Elsewhere, Luvu got in, got a couple tackles, got in the action there a little bit, mainly on special teams. Lamar Jackson, four tackles in that huge Hail Mary give up. Uh, bad news, Sergio Castillo missed an extra point. Uh, no field goal attempts. Braden Mann shanked that punt, that one clutch punt all year. Uh, he, I can't think of another clutch punt he's had. What's the closest, Denver or, or the New England game? This one is by far the number one clutch opportunity this year, and he shanks it. Nanny, I can't be loving that right now the uh, punter-loving Jet X Factor writer. 
Finally, let's talk a little Rex Ryan here. He went on Greenberg's show, Get Up on ESPN, and just destroyed the Jets at Greg Williams. Let's listen. No one has designed more defenses in their life, probably, than you have. The Jets went zero blitz on that play. What is your first reaction? Dumbest call I've ever seen. And only (laughs) been around the thing for 58 years, 30 years as a coach. That's the dumbest call ever. There's there's no other way of, of putting it. Look. And it's not like cover zero. There's a time and a place for cover zero. That thing sure ain't it. That's, I mean, it's just stupid. It's just absolutely stupid. I mean, as you watch that there, they actually have a linebacker who it looks to me is spying the quarterback. Well, that's, here's the other thing. They don't even know how to run a thing cover zero blitz. Number one, in a cover zero, by the, the, and by no means do I mean this is ever appropriate to call it in that situation. But in a cover zero, number one, you'd rather be early than late. Okay, and the other thing is you pressure rush. So they got a guy 10 yards back. He ain't press rushing. That's why Derek Carr is able to step up. So not only was it the stupidest call ever, <laughs> they don't even know how to run a dang cover zero blitz. And you wonder why they give up 400 yards a game. You wonder why this team hasn't won a game. And the thing I feel bad about is for every one of those kids that have been a laughing stock of the league, the Jets have been the laughing stock of, of this league. And for you to put those kids in that situation, to take the moment away from them, a win after all their hard work, that's just ridiculous. And look, Ryan and, and I differ in, in this. We both know Greg Williams. So, I mean, his take on Greg is we, we all know this cat. He's the biggest ego. Look, I got a big ego. But I'm not stupid that way. Yes, I, I have an ego, and I will try to knock the hell out of your quarterback, but I'll beat your protection. I don't have to run cover zero every snap like this guy. So- Rex Ryan talking about egos is not the best look in the world. I mean, come on, Rex. Calling the Jets a laughing stock. Do you really want to go there? You came in. You, you hit fire. You won your first three games in 2009. Your defense took the league by storm. What happened after that? They figured it out quickly. 2009, 2010, AFC Championship games, yes, you didn't have a quarterback. But your roster was loaded. Taking out the quarterback, the Jets roster, from 2008 to 2010, was arguably the most talented roster in the NFL. Assembled by Eric Mangini and Mike Tannenbaum. You see, Mike Tannenbaum, who is another Mike Greenberg uh, familiar guest on his show, like Rex, all the former Jets, who have a bone to pick. I don't know if Mike Tannenbaum does, but Rex, obviously. Tannenbaum was a finance guy. He was a money guy. He was not a personnel guy. He started to get into the personnel side of things eventually. Mangini... Wasn't the greatest coach in the world. Wasn't the greatest defensive mind. But as a coach, he understood personnel. He was a tremendous, you know, uh, I guess I can call him scout. His scouting ability was tremendous. He understood personnel. He understood how to fit personnel within what he wanted to do. Rex takes that team. Does well the first two years. That ultra-talented team. 2011 goes 8-8, eight and eight, the Victor Cruz play, launches the Giants to a Super Bowl, and that's it. They fall off a cliff. 2012, 
they bring in Sperano. Schottenheimer's gone, which I can't believe any head coach would handpick Tony Sperano to be an offensive coordinator. It's almost as dumb. It's probably more dumb than a Greg Williams call. That's for an entire season, Rex. Idzik arrives 2013-2014. Rex still there. Terrible seasons. The problem with Rex is he doesn't know personnel. He has no idea. And again, Idzik is another financial guy, another money guy. So Rex was pretty much the de facto head of personnel with the Jets that entire time. And they took one of the best rosters in the league. And little by little, slowly over time, game by game, week by week, season by season, he completely eroded the talent from 2009 to 2014. McCagnan comes in in 2015, starting from ground zero, signs some veterans. It's fool's gold. They have a terrible schedule, win 10 games. The rest is history. The roster still hasn't recovered from Rex. This roster right now, that is a laughing stock, other than what Joe Douglas has done, still hasn't recovered from what Rex Ryan did to this franchise. And he's hammering the Jets in this manner? Come on, Rex. Come on. And, and don't make me go back and watch some of that 2009, 2010, 2011 film. You know, if I find some Hail Mary situations where you brought seven... I'll be fair about it, obviously, but don't let anyone find something that you did that's extremely similar to Greg Williams on the Henry Ruggs touchdown. That won't be a good thing for you. And I know Rex has blitz in Hail Mary situations. Is he more casual? Is he more uh, Hail Mary sense, you know, smart in, in that sense? Yeah, I think so. I don't think he'd let his ego that he wants to hit a quarterback uh, go on a play like that. He has no problem playing coverage. We've seen it with the Jets. But this is too much to take. This is over the top. Criticize the guy? Absolutely. Criticize the Jets right now? Absolutely. But do not go to that level when you were the first reason the Jets slipped into this abyss. Last quick thing we'll touch on is Trevor Lawrence. See, I do, and don't call me crazy, but I actually think Trevor Lawrence is overrated a bit. And it's not dealing with him. It's dealing with how he's being viewed. How he's being viewed is incredible. I don't know if he's the best pocket passer in the world. I don't know if he's the most accurate in the world. I still have to see a lot of what he's done over the last two plus years. But from a narrative and uh, momentum standpoint, he's probably a bit overrated. But when watching this guy, the most important thing, his best attribute is the it factor. Having the awareness around the pocket. He's like Big Ben in a way. He doesn't, I mean, he'll make mistakes, but he always knows where every one of the 21 other players are on the field. He escapes the pocket. He knows where everyone is. It's like he has eyes in the back of his head. I don't think he's as good as Roethlisberger in that sense, but he has that. He knows how to play the game. And he has a quick release, 
His arm whips really quickly. But he also, to me, is a bit longer. It's not Tebow. It's not dreadful. But when he has the time, he loads up. And he's a bit longer in the delivery than other quarterbacks. However, when he has to release it quickly, he does it. That's the craziest thing about this guy. If we're nitpicking, I mean, Trevor Lawrence does have a quick release. There's no question. His, his arm whips really quickly. But if we're nitpicking, it's a little long. His delivery is long when he has the time. It's classic over the top. But watch what happens when the pressure comes at him. Sidearm, quick release, get it out to the flat. The biggest thing with this guy, he's got that it factor. He, he's not vanilla in every situation. He knows different situations call for different arm slots, angles, releases, and that's a huge key. He's sort of like Ben Roethlisberger in the way his awareness is off the charts. He knows where everyone is on the field, and he has eyes in the back of his head. That is his best attribute. Here, flea flicker, easiest throw in the world for a quarterback, right? Underthrows it even a bit. But what makes this special, and you've seen this highlight a million times, is what Lawrence does, how he processes the information. Watch how he throws this ball. He doesn't follow through as he normally does. Quick release, protect the arm, don't let the thumb hit the the helmet of the defender, drops the shoulder, leans into him even, and, I mean, that's tremendous. He knows he has space, he knows he has room for error, so he calculates what's happening on the fly, and he knows he could protect himself because he has that space downfield. Not every quarterback can do that. Here, uh, not the most accurate ball, but he gets it done. He, had, he has great receivers. He has great talent around him. Uh, RPO, read option, pistol, what his offensive coordinator will do at the next level is really important. Here, anticipates, floats it out there, throws it pro- quicker than he probably wants to. But again, it's that overall feel for the game, overall feel for the position. Here, avoids the rush, quicker release out to the flat. That's that stuff. That's that it factor stuff. Another blitz, quick release to their back. It's not hard stuff, but it's it's stuff that's really promising. So Trevor Lawrence, like the video said, like the recording just said, even though he's longer when he has the time and he loads up and it's over the top, he could change his slot angle. He could go sidearm. He's quick. He's quick on the release when he has to be. He anticipates when he needs to. And it's the awareness, the overall feel for the position that I think is his greatest attribute. Jets, Jamal Adams, Seattle Seahawks uh, are next up. Four more to go for the Jets fan if they are, are dreaming of Trevor Lawrence right now. Seahawks, Rams, Browns, Patriots, only one more home game, which is a good thing. Although without fans, I don't know how much of an advantage it is. Um, but four more to go. The Jags nearly did it, nearly knocked off. The Vikings went to overtime. And I bet a lot of Jets fans would feel a lot more comfortable with a buffer, with that uh, one-and-a-half game buffer instead of that half-game buffer. Because even though it's one in the standings right now, the Jags have the tiebreaker. And Nanny is going to update the graphic, and we're going to put out an article probably tomorrow, Wednesday. That race is over. The strength of schedule tiebreaker is going to the Jags. 
it will be very difficult to catch up. So it's really a half game lead, not a full game. Jets win, Jags lose. That combination, it flips it. And the Jags will lead by half a game. So instead, the Vikings win in overtime. Jags let Jets fans down again, and they just keep hanging around. They keep hanging around. And Jags' schedule the rest of the way is really tough. Jets is as well. But with Belichick in the last week, um, could Jets fans be fearful? Yes. Should they be? Perhaps. We'll see what unfolds over the next three weeks. Jets Seahawks Sunday. Until then, catch you next time. Oh.